Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I want to thank you also for having us out, for being with us uh, and part of our missionary team, for taking a drop of your sweat from work and sending it to to Peru where it can produce fruit. Um, And I also want to thank you guys for worshiping. It's a thank you to the worship team for for making it easy for me to enter in. But thank you, congregation, body of Jesus, for worshiping. Because what good is a great worship team unless people are willing to worship, you know? And the Lord says very clearly that he will inhabit the praises of his people. And as we seek the revelation that my wife was talking about, as we seek that revelation, if you want to get it, well, then then start worshiping Jesus because he will inhabit his praises. And as we, as we lift up praise to him sacrificially, right? Sacrificially, because it is not in the flesh of mankind to praise anything but ourselves. <laughs> and it is not in our flesh to start telling God, I'm grateful for what you've done for me. That's not in our flesh because we want more. And so we like to say, I'll thank you as soon as I get enough, but we never get enough, you know? And so you got to start saying, okay, it's your breath in my lungs. You're the one that put it there. And so I'm not going to suck it in and hold it for myself so I can have as much of it as I need. I'm going to pour out my praise, pour out my praise, and give it back to him. And then suddenly it becomes healthy. He gets what he wants, what he deserves, what he needs for life to work, praise from us, and then we get what we really want, which is more breath in our lungs. Amen. Thank you, congregation. This morning I enjoyed worship selfishly. It was fun, and I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it to Carlos. I'm going to say it to uh, Rebecca. I'm going to say it to Laura and to, the, and to you guys. Um, if we lived anywhere near here, this would be our home church. I'm dead serious. I love it. And uh, it's a, so it's a joy to be here. Lena mentioned the team coming down. What fun. We just had such a good time. You know, and why did we have a good time? Because when people step out their front door in the morning believing that God's going to do something cool, when there's an expectation for God doing something good, good things happen, you know? And when people walk out the front door saying, you never do anything good for me, he could do a thousand good things and and you're not going to see it, you know? You're not going to see it. It's the kid that turns up the really delicious casserole on the dinner plate because they believe it's going to taste bad when it actually tastes really, really good, but they refuse to eat it. And then they say, I never get anything good. (laughs) Man, I don't want to be that kid with Jesus, you know? I don't want to be that kid. I want to receive what the Lord gives me. I have an image that I'm now I'm now freestyling. <laughs> so when my oldest daughter Hannah was um, a baby, she was in the in the high chair. She was screaming no with her mouth closed like this, shaking her head no no no, and I was shoving in with all of my might a spoonful of chocolate ice cream. And I was screaming on the top of my lungs, it's good. But she just didn't want to have it. Why am I saying that? I have a sneaky suspicion that someone in here today is really wrestling with the good thing that God wants to give you. You know? And maybe it's going to go down like like bad tasting cough medicine. Maybe it will. I don't know but I promise you it's only going to be a a tough for a second, you know, just for a second until God does that good thing. Let's just pray about that right now. God, I'm asking for the gift of faith that we would receive and embrace the good thing you're giving us, even though it might be frightening to us because it's new and it's not comfortable. I ask Holy Spirit, Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I declare the gift of faith right now, the gift of faith, especially over that person. If you're struggling and you're like, God, what I think what you have for me, I'm not sure I even want it. If that's you, raise your hand even a little bit, you know, open it up. Maybe you don't want anybody else to see it, <laughs> but you got to receive Jesus. Touch him right now. Yes. 
please touch them, Jesus, and I thank you, God. Now put myself in their shoes, God. I embrace what you have for me, God. I embrace what you have for me. I embrace what you have for me. I embrace what you have for me. God, the gift of faith today. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Um, I'm going to go to that in a second, but I don't want to lose where I'm at right now. Um, I did church planning in Boston for three and a half years. And I I often joke it was the worst three and a half years of my life. Um, the uh, And it wasn't because anything really bad happened to me. It was just because I was wrestling with God over some things. But I will say this. Um, if you've ever gone on vacation to Boston, then you can agree with me that it's the best, just literally one of the best vacation spots in the world. What a great place to go. Go to Boston in the summer that never gets hot there. You know, walk the Freedom Trail, see where Paul Revere made his silver, see the, light, the, the, the church, the old north church where Paul Revere hung the lantern, one if by land, two if by sea, right? I mean, it's fabulous, all that early American history and such a beautiful city with great seafood. Take $1,000 with you. It's just the most expensive place you can imagine, <laughs> right? And don't go in winter because it's, because it's really, it's just the next pit stop before hell <laughs> in winter, you know? And the weather's horrible, people are rude, traffic, the streets are narrow, and right now, you know, they're, they're, they're really covered in snow. I lived there for three and a half years. It was so cold, and the people were so rude. They're, they're Italian, you know, and it's, and they, that's just the way they work. And they're not rude to each other because it's just the way they are, you know, and you walk, you go into a deli, you go into a deli so you can buy your $10 sandwich, right? And the guy at the deli goes, what do you want? And he's in a good mood. And I said, I can remember going, I'm not sure I have to look at the menu. Well, then get out of the line. (laughs) Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, help me with these people, right? (laughs) So I was there three and a half years. Big, big city. The Lord calls us to Peru years later. Years later. And uh, we land at the airport in Peru, and uh, we pull out of the airport and it's, a, it's, when you come to Peru, I'll show you the street. Uh, it goes from, from three lanes to two lanes with no sign that says that that's happening. You're at a traffic light, right? And there's three lanes at the traffic light. But in front of you, there's only two. And there's no merge thing or anybody, please, <laughs> please play nice. There's nothing. But here's what's funny about it. At the three lanes at the traffic light, there's five lanes of traffic waiting for the light, right? And Delena knows what I'm talking about because they can't see the lines and they don't care anyway. You know what I'm saying? All they know is that when the light goes green, it's every man for himself, (laughs) right? And we got there the first time we landed. I mean, we'd literally been in Peru for 10 minutes, pulled out of the airport, Got to that place. I looked at the traffic. I looked at how everybody was driving. And I said to Lena, this is Boston with slightly better weather. (laughs) And it, you know, and it has proven to be that way. What was the problem there? When I left Boston, I was so beat up. I was so empty and drained. And I felt like I had failed the Lord because the cost of the ministry was costly. Okay? You've not failed the Lord if what you're doing for him is costly. Okay? This is not an amusement park. It's a battle. And it's going to cost you. When David came back from every battle, he was worn out. He was literally beat up. Please don't believe that when David fought, he didn't take a few hits. He survived. That was what happened. He survived. It wasn't that he didn't get wounded or that he didn't get hurt or any of those things. He just survived, and so it was a victory. It's a victory if you survive, people. But I left Boston feeling like a failure. And every time we would go back, I would take Chi Alpha students back to Boston. And uh, 
because I still had a, a you know friends and a team there. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back there next month, and uh, every time I go back to Boston, I would pray, "Oh God, don't speak to me while I'm here." <laughs> and I had this fear once driving into Boston that Jesus was going to be sitting on a sign that said that said like "Welcome to Boston." There's that sign that says "Welcome to Massachusetts," you know, and I. And I had this fear, intense fear, that Jesus was going to be sitting on that sign going like this, Welcome home, Bill. (laughs) Welcome home. You know, fear. And so I was praying once, going there as a missionary to witness to people and bring the good life of Jesus Christ, thinking, oh, God, just it's okay with me if you don't speak a word while I'm here. Because I was afraid of what the word was going to be. The spoonful of chocolate ice cream. And I was afraid. And so we get this call. But I'm wrestling. You know, we got the call to prove, but it hadn't been confirmed yet. Now, uh, there was like, we only received at that point 30 or 40 really strong direct prophecies. But it wasn't confirmed yet. (laughs) You know? And in the middle of the night, the Lord wakes me up. (laughs) And he goes, we got to talk about Boston. And I go, figuratively, are you kidding me? I've got a call to Peru, which has not been confirmed yet. But I knew that Boston was that situation where God called me and I left there basically painting the experience black because I got beat up. You know, where was Jesus in that? In the battle. Where was he in the battle? You know, (laughs) he's in the battle. Okay. So literally, 3 o'clock in the morning, I go down to the living room, and I'm there, and I'm like, okay, let's talk about Boston. Dead silence. And I'm waiting. You tell me about Boston. I'm waiting. And I know what I got to do. So finally, I break the silence, and I said, okay. Okay, I will, okay, you, I'm going to give you what you want. You know how we do that? Yeah, I'm going to give you what you want. <laughs> it's like our parents saying to us, I'm going to give you a reason to cry. <laughs> I knelt on my knees. I said, God, it was the hardest prayer I have ever prayed. God, I give you permission to call me back to Boston. Now, to clarify for your theology, we really don't give him a lot of permission. Okay? My parents, my kids don't give me permission to be dad. And yet, there's a trust equation. Are you hearing me? When a sailor gets on a ship with the captain, he is saying, I give you permission to give me an order. And I'm doing it because I believe that the team needs to work together. Are you with me? I knelt on my knees. I said, I give you permission to call me back to Boston. Now, permission is one thing. But trust is another. All right? It's one thing to say to Jesus, I'll do what you want, but I won't like it. And so I waited. And then I got on my face, and I laid there on my stomach with my hands out over in front of me, completely before the Lord, and I said, and I said, okay, you can make me happy there. You can make me happy there. I hated it there for three and a half years, expensive, cold, and rude. Working my tail off for so little fruit, because there was just not a lot of fruit in the inner city, people. 
It's a harder place. It's a harder place. The big cities are harder places. But I laid there and I said, you can make me happy there. And that was a really hard prayer to pray because I really didn't have the gift of faith to feel all the touchy-feely good stuff. It was, an, it was a sacrifice to Jesus. Are you with me? To say it. To allow myself for half a second to believe that he could do something to make that difficult, cold, cold place rewarding. This morning I want to challenge you to trust the Lord and take a step of obedience. And even though it's a costly step of obedience, to believe in who he is, to believe in his character. Amen? And that's going to be a lead into the message if we ever get there. But first I have to show you some pictures. Before I stop, no, let's, just pray, let's just pray it. If, if that's speaking to you right now, if you have a really struggle, man, in your marriage, people, Jesus can make you happy in your marriage. I guarantee you there was a minute before you married that person when you looked at them and thought, I'm going to be happy with this person. And now you're thinking, I was a complete idiot that day. And I am here to tell you, no, you weren't. There was something in your husband or wife that you liked. At one point in time, you liked that person. Or at least you thought you did. God can make you happy there. God can make you see it again. I don't know what your situation is, but I'll bet you there's a situation where you're saying, the only way God could save me from this is to, is to, is to, to amputate it. But maybe there's, maybe there's another solution. Come on. Let's just pray it. God, in the name of Jesus, again, the gift of faith to see it, that you can make us happy there, Lord, in our marriages, in our jobs, Father God that you have the solution. Oh, God, let it be in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we come and we ask for the gift of faith in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lena and I have some friends in Cincinnati and uh, been married for, I don't know, 40 years. And uh, they came to our home church in Cincinnati because they were going to get a divorce. And uh, he had been unfaithful. Their marriage had no hope. Zero hope. And uh, they uh, went to uh, our home church because someone said, before you sign the divorce papers, go talk to that pastor. And they said, we're not Christians. He said, then what do you got to lose? Right? And the pastor said, just give Jesus a little bit of a chance. Let's just wait. Just uh, just wait and give Jesus a little bit of a chance. And let's talk about your marriage. And that was over 30 years ago. Amen. And you would never dream, looking at this couple, that they ever had a problem. And that can be you too. That can be you too. And then you'll have such a testimony to tell to give a gift of faith to people. Okay, this is my family. They're about 3 or 4% better looking than yours. <laughs> it's, it's the cross that I have to bear, you know. My kids are so good looking. I don't... Yeah, and I'm going to tell you why. And I, this is, you know, there's the reason why. I was the kid who was horribly bullied growing up. 
um, I always say I was the second most hated kid in school, and the only kid that would play with me was the most hated kid in school. And we only played together because there was nobody else. And God gave me my children to get complete revenge on those people. (laughs) And when they come up to me now and they're like, oh, yeah, Schrader, (laughs) I go, my kids are better looking than yours. (laughs) So, and there we are in Peru. That's El Misti, a famous famous volcano. Beautiful. Go to the next slide. Peru has three different regions, and I love every one of them. So we have the mountains, and this is uh, the, wait, wait, go back. I've got to point out the mountains. The uh, that guy down there in the bottom is at Machu Picchu playing his flute, probably to some pagan deity. Little kids running through the street, love them. Quechua Indians, which are still not reached, okay? Still not reached. Um, the Spanish came in and brought a very weak version of Catholicism. Very weak, not to be confused with what you might see in America. Uh, mostly pagan. Uh, they took all of the Inca, pagan Inca rituals, and said instead of uh, praying to Pachamama, the, the Mother Earth, we're now going to pray to Mary, the Mother of God. And we're going to do it exactly on the same days that you pray to Pachamama with exactly the same rituals. We're just going to change your name. Okay? It's a, it's a crazy scenario. Never, they, they've taught very, very little of actual faith. And I don't want to diminish that there might have been some really believing, strong believing people that came, uh, you know, mission, early missionaries, Catholic missionaries, but it's a very, very weak form of Catholicism came. But they were what people group? The Spanish. And so in the main areas, like down on the coast, they really had a, a huge impact. And so people on the coast speak Spanish. But people up in the mountains don't speak Spanish. They speak Quechua. And so we still have millions, millions of people who are not reached. And at one point, um, and it's important, in Cusco you're going to see people who are going to be bilingual. But uh, there's a lot of Quechua people who just hang in their Quechua community and never go out of it. And so we might go and plant a church there, but it's going to be a Spanish-speaking church, right? And they, they, those, those classic two, like, ghettos where you have the whole one whole people group where they don't, they, they don't mix. And so we really need churches up there. I want, I want you guys to pray for that. Um, so we got the Amazon, right? This is in the jungle on the Amazon River, and we have schools down there where we minister to the poor kids. And they live in those shacks over the Amazon River. They don't have plumbing. So they poop and pee in that water, and then they dip their bucket back down in it and pull that water back up to make dinner. And that's how they live. Um, And that's the market, and it smells bad there. Okay, this is on the coast, the desert coast. It's the driest desert on the face of the earth. And I love this picture on the bottom right because it's what we see all the time when we drive on the highway. And you could look just for hundreds and hundreds of miles. One of my favorite stories is we went through the desert. It was a three-hour drive, and uh, we had, at this point, we were in a taxi. And so after an hour and a half of pure desert, I said to the taxi driver, so which part's your favorite? (laughs) You know, because it just all looks exactly the same. And if you ever see those movies, they used to always make those movies of the guy walking through the desert, the one lone guy. Okay, he would die. You would not survive it. So don't have any, any false images when you watch those movies. That's fiction. It's just complete fiction. You would never survive walking through the desert like that. Um, so next slide there. And then Lima, which is kind of a weird thing, a megalopolis, 10 million people, uh, right in that desert area. But there's, a, but there's this natural spring water uh, river that comes up, and so they have something to drink that we're using it all. Uh, mostly to mostly to water uh, parks, um, but uh, that's Lima. Okay, we got to pause here. In 2003, right before Christmas, a friend came by and gave us two sweaters, and those are the pictures of them up there, and they're back on the table. And uh, in 1993, she went to Cusco in the mountains and did a missions trip, and the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, I want you to buy these two sweaters, and then I want you to wait, and I'll tell you who to give them to and when. And so she waited 10 years. 
In 2003, the Holy Spirit spoke and told her to give him to Lena and I. And so she did right before Christmas, and she said, there's a message from God in these sweaters. And I said, well, what is it? She said, well, that's for you to find out. And I always stop here and say, never trust a prophet who does your homework for you. Okay? Because when the going gets tough, you have to have a word from the Lord. Prophets can help you help steer you and tell you how to pray. Right? But you got to get a word from the Lord. And that word's going to be confirmed. If it's from the Lord, it'll be confirmed. Okay? So I took our sweaters every day to my bedroom. I laid it out in the bed, and I put my forehead on it, and I nailed it to the bed with my hands on each side, and I screamed out to God, God, what's the message? And just every day, over and over again, he proved that he was calling us to Peru as missionaries. And not just calling us, but he also put us in charge of a ministry called Latin America Child Care, where impoverished children can attend a private assembly of God's school where we do feeding programs, we do uh, medical programs with them. But more than anything, more than anything, these kids who are frequently separated from their families because of poverty issues hear the gospel from a teacher that loves them and get the tools that they need to succeed in life. One of the verses I like to quote all the time is John 10.10. Now, and I'm going to let you know, I am not a prosperity preacher, which means I don't make deals with God. I don't have to. He's my father. Okay? So I don't have to give him money and say, you're going to give me tenfold back. I don't have to do that. If my kid did that to me, I would be horribly offended. Here's my, here's my dollar, Dad. I'm waiting for ten bucks back. To which I would say, thank you for your dollar. You're lucky you get to eat. Are you hearing me? Yes. Beware, beware of teachers that teach you to make contracts with God because you don't bring anything to the deal. Okay? Just hang with him and you get to eat. Right? The woman, the woman uh, in, um, in uh, I can't remember what it said, but at any rate, Jesus, she said, heal my, heal my daughter. And he said, I've come for the children of Israel. And she, said, uh, and she said, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the table. And he goes, baby, your daughter's healed. I love that. <laughs> I love that, right? You know, let's be like her. Amen. Because I would say, when you eat the scraps from the king's table, it's really good eating. Really good eating. Um, where was I going? I was way beyond the sweaters. John, thank you. John 1010, someone's listening. (laughs) Jesus said, I've come to give you life in that more abundantly. Amen? In that more abundantly. You can make me happy there. It's going to be good. And so I tell that to our students. I said, I've come to bring you life. It is found in Jesus Christ. I've also come to teach you how to read so you can go get a job. And if you want to have a better life, then work. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, Latin America Child Care is a sponsorship program. For $36 a month, you can sponsor a child and uh, uh, change their life, transform that child in their future. This is one of our ads. Every day I go to school, I'm loved, I learn, I'm challenged, I experience God. Every day I dream of my future. Every day I feel safe. I love that. We, um, people uh, talk about trying to save girls out of the sex slave. Uh, um, we are doing that every day by trying to get them not to go into it. Amen. Are you hearing me? And I tell the girls in our high schools, get a degree, from, get your high school diploma, get an education, and don't fall prey to men who make promises to you that you know they cannot keep. Stay here, stay safe, and have a real life. Getting girls to know Jesus personally and have a capacity to actually work. That's huge, the capacity to actually work. Many women go into prostitution in third world countries because they can make more money at it, right? It's not just about getting them saved. We got to give them something to do. 
All right? And that's what we do. So I invite you to participate with me in it. But if you sponsor a child, it is not part of your, your mission's pledge to the church. And I want you to remember that. Because if you don't send us, the whole thing stops. Right? It's in addition. It's in addition for those that like to do things in addition. And these are pictures of our kids. I love them so much. That teacher's a really good teacher, by the way. She is one of my favorites. So I was so glad that we got that picture of her. We also do university ministry and uh, do evangelism to college students because we're addicts on that regard. We love college students. Lena does a Bible study um, called What Jesus Said, where she entices people to practice their English by reading a famous book in English (laughs) and talking about what it says. And she, of course, reads the Bible, and people are like, oh, good, I get to practice my English. Next slide. Then we do church planting. And uh, we've been really blessed in that. And we've got a great team right now. And we work with a, uh, a Venezuelan missionary and uh, have planted Iglesia Misión Vida, the, the uh, Mission Life Church. Next slide there. We go around helping people get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have it yet, you can get it because God promised it and he's really good on his promises, right? Most people don't get it just because they feel anxious and afraid and they think that God's going to withhold. Hmm. He's not withholding this one. It's why he came. Over and over again in the scriptures, it says that the job of the Messiah is to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He wants you in the Holy of Holies. He wants the whole Shekinah glory cloud of fire and smoke coming right down on your head. Okay? So he can embrace you. Okay? He's not going to withhold. That's, that's what it's all about. And so uh, if you don't have it yet, just ask, and we'll, we'll ask with you. You'll get it. You'll get it. Next slide. Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on the one in whom they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And I don't know why I don't have it there, but the next line says, and how can they preach unless they are sent. You guys have sent us, and I want to thank you for it and ask you to continue doing it because people are getting saved. And one day you're going to get a little llama gem on your crown when you get to heaven. That's right. It'll be like baseball cards. You'll get a little llama gem, and it's going to be because you you participated with us. Amen? I've only got a few minutes, and I, uh, I don't want to miss this opportunity. So, uh, we're going to jump into the word. I want you to turn to Second Samuel chapter 23. And I'm going to this one because of the you can make me happy here, trusting God, which I wasn't planning earlier. We'll watch how this turns out. Yeah. And it looks like I might... You guys can turn there. I'm going to turn to 1 Samuel 23 and just see what's in that passage. not seeing it I I guarantee you I okay it's the passage um uh Carlos is the passage at the uh at the well of Bethlehem David and the three mighty men at the well of Bethlehem David's mighty warriors 23 2nd Samuel 23 verse 8 verse 8 really I was right I knew I was right (laughs) okay Good. Yeah, I I knew that. (laughs) Well, normally I would like to open this by saying Israel has been invaded by ISIS, the most ferocious group of terrorists that you can imagine, cutting people's heads off. And they have overtaken 
one of Israel's towns, Bethlehem. And the king sent the army to recapture the town. And we talk a lot about it in the news. They're always talking about Falusa, right? Because it gets captured one day by ISIS, and the next day it gets, it gets uh, delivered, but then they recapture it, right? Well, this is what was happening in Bethlehem. And the general of the army is very invested in this because his name is David ben Jesse, and, and Bethlehem is his hometown. And so he's worried because he knows the streets of this town really well. And so he's camped out with his soldiers and he's thirsty. And he's thinking about the town. And he goes, you know, guys, I'm so thirsty. I really want a drink of water, but I don't just want any drink of water. I want a drink of water from the well at the front gate of Bethlehem which, of course, we call Bethlehem. And he said, I remember when I was a little boy, my grandma would wake me up and she would say, David, run to the well and get me some water because I'm going to bake you some bread for breakfast. And he would run down to that well and he would get the water and come back and he can remember the warmth of the oven in his grandmother's house and the smell of the bread coming out and how he loved to go to that well. And then he said, oh, guys, I remember when I was in high school. When I was in high school, we go down to that well and we'd hang out the well because that's when the girls would come to water the sheep. And so we would be scoping out the chicks hanging out at the well. Wasn't a lot to do in my town. It wasn't a big town. So the well was where we would hang out. Mm. Do you guys have a place like that? In Cincinnati, which is where I, where I grew up, we have a chili called Cincinnati Chili, and the rest of the big restaurant is Skyline. And uh, so for me, Skyline is, man, that's my heritage right there. You know, thank you, brother, Bengal hat-wearing man. On oxygen, a lot like the Bengals. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Amen. That's right. That's right. I can tell you, I can, how many times, you know, when I've been in Peru and I've thought, I want that Skyline Coney, which is a hot dog with chili and cheese on top, but the chili is not really chili. It's a weird sauce made with chocolate and stuff. Amen, brother. Bring it on. I can tell you, you know, and Lena makes Cincinnati chili because we get the we get the packets at Kroger's and you can make it at home. And so sometimes I'll come in and Peru and I'll walk in the house. It'll be a rough day and I walk in and I smell that smell, which to half the people in the room would smell absolutely disgusting. But to me, you know, is home. Because I can remember walking into my grandmother's house and smelling it. You know what I'm saying? That's what David was feeling that day. That's what he was feeling. And so he said to his guys, Oh, man, what I would give to have a cup of water from the well of Bethlehem. Now, before we go into it, we're going to read the passage, but I want to let you know something. For years and years and years, I thought this passage was bizarre. And I always thought of David. Was he whacked or what? Because he completely wasted something so horribly precious. Let's take a look at it. Chapter 20, uh, sec, as we all know, Second Samuel 23. Verse 13. Okay. During harvest time, three of the 30, 30 uh, chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. You should say at that point, Bethlehem, but wait a minute. Isn't that David's hometown? Isn't that where Jesus was born? Yeah. Good reason why we don't want ISIS to take it over. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. 
So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. What do you think they carried it in? In a bucket. I love it. Now, they probably carried it in a big wine sack, right? A big leather bag filled, you know, you normally fill it. That's probably what they carried it in. But in my brain, all those years, it was always a Dixie cup. Okay? And I had this vision, this vision of a guy with a Dixie cup in one hand and a sword in the other going like this. <laughs> you know? And I think, how much water was in that cup by the time he got back? You know? So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. He poured it out. So you got three guys who went up against ISIS on a mission that was frankly just stupid. It wasn't like David didn't have water. He was a big general. They brought water with him. They brought it from somewhere else. They brought it from Flint, Michigan. Because <laughs> it was cheap there now. Very cheap. But you know, the warriors did it out of love. And to them, they were like, I am going to sacrifice for this guy because I love him. You know? And we don't know how many times David saved their lives. (laughs) Right? We don't know how many times they saved his. But there is a band of brothers when you're fighting with people on the front lines. You know? And there's that, that, that depth of friendship and passion and vision that compels three guys to risk their lives just to go get their friend a flask of water from this well. <clears throat> and they get back, and he goes, wow, guys, water? Really? And then he pours it out on the ground. And for years I read it, and I thought, David, you should have drank the water. You should have drank the water. If I'm in Peru and some Peruvian lady says, I heard you are from Cincinnati, and so I looked up on the internet the recipe for Skyline Chili, and I've decided to make you a coney, and it doesn't look or smell like a coney, I'm still going to eat it, people. Right? I'm not going to pour it out onto the ground. I couldn't get it. Every time I read it, I couldn't get it. And so, I don't know, three months ago, four months ago, I'm driving on the highway. And uh, I was uh, listening to the Bible and we got to this, this passage, brought it up. And I go... Once again, David takes the most precious gift he's ever been given and pours it out on the ground. Now, we live in the desert. They were in the desert. I understand the desert really well. It drinks and drinks and drinks and gives nothing back. You pour water on the ground here and you get mud. You pour water on the desert and it goes right down the drain like there was nothing there. And so I'm like, God, what is going, why did you even record this passage? Like you want people to do that? David should have drank the water. Even if he wasn't that thirsty at that moment, he should have gone like this. Oh, brothers, what an incredibly precious gift. Oh, that is so sweet. I love it. I love it. It tastes like 
really like nothing at all. It's just water. Mm, you know? So I said to the Lord, what is up with this passage? And the Lord said to me, Bill, you don't like that passage because you can't see me there. But David could. And all of a sudden I'm like, what? (laughs) You see, in, in Israel at the time, you know, they had a big sacrificial system slaughtering lambs and cows, pouring out the blood. A major part of it was the drink offering. And when they did the lambs and the cows and all of that, the priests actually got to eat some of that. And so it didn't look like a big old waste when you got a big cookout going on every day and then you take a portion and say it's for God and another portion is for your family. But the drink offering, that, that one's just for God, people. He fills the big cup full of wine and says, cheers, and then poured it right out on the ground, which to us looks silly. But if you've encountered the Shekinah glory of God and you know his presence is there, it starts to take on a whole different meaning. And that was the cultural context that David and the mighty warriors come from. And so they handed David this cup of water. And it's just a cup of water. It is not worth a lot. Except for how difficult it was to get it. And they hand David this cup of water. And he says, brothers, I am not worthy to drink this. Even though we all know I've been anointed. (laughs) And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm... Uh, one of the most important people that's ever lived in history. And I'm still not worthy to drink this. There's only one who is. I want to challenge you in this passage. Let's mix it up. The three mighty warriors bring the cup of water to David. And he says, thank you, brothers. I love your sacrifice. And I'm grateful for your sacrifice. But even I am not worthy to drink this. And then he turns around. And right behind him is Jesus Christ. Can you see it? Because David could. David could see it. And he turns around and says, Jesus, I want you to have this. Because Bethlehem is your town too. And then Jesus drinks that water. Sometimes when we give an offering to church, we never see where it goes. And there's a few times when we do it and we think it's going to be wasted. Have you ever thought that? No, I love it. (laughs) Well, I have. (laughs) We, my wife and I, We give tithes and offerings in Peru, knowing full well that the people who are doing the finances of the church have great difficulty balancing a checkbook. (laughs) Right? And the big problem among the poor, and this is a big problem, and if I speak to you on this one, I really hope you listen. Okay? Is that they'll say, (coughs) somebody will say, hey, you know what? The tires on your car are completely bald, and it's a danger. I want to give you some money for some new tires on your car. And that person goes, oh, look at that. $300 for new tires. I love it. Well, I can put $20 down on that debt that I have. And then with another 15 of those dollars, I can, I can put it over here and, and pay the phone bill. Oh, that's right. And, and I need a new pair of shoes. And before it's done, even though every little element was justifiable you don't got new tires on your car, right? That's what, that's what the poor do. They have a really hard time figuring out what's important and should be paid for right now. And so then they spend a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there. And at the end, it doesn't measure up to anything. Well, welcome to what church people do in Peru. 
And so we give our offerings. And it looks a lot sometimes like pouring water out on the desert. But who'd we give it to? Did I give my offering to some church administrator in Peru? No, I didn't. My offering went to Jesus. And it went straight to Jesus. And it is entirely up to Jesus to figure out what to do with it. When you give to missions, some missionaries are working their tails off in places that are very, very difficult, and they might come back. There's some missionaries will come back after 10 years and say, I got one convert. And that's because they went to Boston. (laughs) (laughs) Then you get other missionaries, and we're really blessed because Peru is like the most open country in the world right now. And we could walk down the street going, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And they're going to go, no. <laughs> you know, just, hey, you want to accept Jesus? Yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> you know, and it's just, and it's picking, it's just picking the fruit off before it falls off the tree. Um, and we're blessed. We're really, really blessed. But I have no, I mean, I don't have any false uh, images of my own greatness on that one. <clears throat> I'm just glad I get to be the guy that, you know, harvests. But here's, my, here's what I'm saying. When you give an offering to the Lord, a lot of times you can't see where it goes. Don't forget who you're giving it to. Right? And if the offering was sacrificial, it's really worth that much more in God's eyes. The woman who gave two cents gave all she had. And Jesus saw it. And he knew. And it went into coffers. At that point in time, it went into coffers for priests who were corrupt. But she wasn't giving it to the priests. She was giving it to God. And so the next time you read this passage, see Jesus in it. And the next time you give, See Jesus as the receiver. Earlier I told you the story saying, you can make me happy there. It was a struggle to believe that Jesus was in the equation. Right? And I no longer had false pictures that it was all going to be easy. I knew when we went to Peru, because of my experience in Boston, I grew up there, not grew up as a child to an adult. I mean, I grew up in maturity as a missionary, right? I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I knew it wasn't going to be all bad either because I had reached that place that night when the Holy Spirit woke me up. I had enough of the gift of faith to see that Jesus was in the equation. Yes. And that if I went to Peru and rude people and expensive big city culture threatened me and challenged me and took me out of my comfort zone, at least I was going to go out of my comfort zone with Jesus at my side. Amen. Let's all stand. I want to ask you, if you're not giving to the church in tithes and offerings, you're missing your blessing. If you are not giving to tithes and offerings to the church, you're missing your blessing. That's 10%, people. That's the starting block. That's not the goal. That's where we start. And yes, you can survive on what's left because God will teach you how to budget. Okay? And he will bless you. If you are not giving to missions, you need to give to missions as well because Jesus wants to reach every tribe and every tongue in the world. And you get a chance to join with him on his pet project. You get a chance to join with him on his pet project of reaching the lost and saving them from hell.
and bringing glory to his name. But it's going to take an act of faith on your part where when you give the money, you have to say, I give up that which is which pleases me now and I trust you that you can make me happy without Starbucks. I guarantee you when you do it, somebody will give you a Starbucks card. You know, that's the way he works. That's totally the way he works. I'm calling you this morning to see Jesus in the picture and to pour out that cup of water that you have as a, as a, as a joining with him. But more than anything, as an act of worship. Pour it out. Pour out your cup of water just the same way that Mary broke open the flask of ointment and poured it on his feet. Are you hearing me? A sacrifice? Absolutely. But all worship is a sacrifice. All worship is a sacrifice. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. I want to ask for those this morning who've not made a commitment to Jesus Christ because of whatever reasons, maybe you're struggling, and uh, you need to do the you can make me happy there uh, prayer with Jesus where what the there is is having a relationship with Jesus. You know, maybe you're not serving him right now the way so many have. I, I, had, I remember years ago, Uh, a friend of mine saying, I don't want to serve Jesus because I have to give up women. I can't sleep around anymore. I'm here to tell you that if that's you, it's better having a faithful, loving relationship with a wife or a husband. Jesus can make you happier. And what the world is offering you, what the world is offering you is not going to pay off. It's going to be like the desert sands that suck up your water and don't give you anything back. You got to get to the point where you can say to Jesus, "Yes, I'm, I want to be with you because I need you, and I believe in this moment that I'm." There's even a kind of a self-service part here where my life's going to be better because of you. And it's hard for me, Jesus, because I'm afraid to give up the stuff that I love that actually has control of me. But in this small act of faith, I'm going to do it. I'm going to declare Jesus. I want to be yours and I want you to be mine and I want to walk with you. If that's you, then raise your hand so I can see it. Thanks, I see I see that. I love it. I got a lot of hands going up. A lot of hands going up. I don't know which ones are first timers or 100 timers. I'll, you know, Jesus sees them though. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Anybody struggling with that faith equation on having a hard time walking with Jesus? This is your chance because he is coming back. He is coming back. And I don't want him to say to you, I do not know you, even though you say to him, but I went to church and he says, but I didn't know you. You never actually entered into a relationship with me. You were just a watcher in the audience. I don't want that today. This is your chance to give your life, to give your life to him and to let him give his life to you. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Those that need the gift of faith, I see that. Hallelujah. Those that that need the gift of faith to give that which is valuable to you, to him in an act of worship, whether it's tithes and offerings, giving to missions, or giving forgiveness to somebody who has hurt you, maybe an abusive father. Maybe a mean mother-in-law. Maybe your boss who's a jerk. I want to invite you now. You're going to say, Bill, I'm really struggling with this one. The Lord is speaking to me, and I'm struggling. If that's you, then raise your hand. I'll pray for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Delena, do you have a prophetic word? Okay. Father, in the name of Jesus, pour out the Holy Spirit. Pour out the Holy Spirit. Pour out the Holy Spirit now for the gift of faith. The gift of faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.